Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, Merry Christmas, Concord. How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas to those of you that are joining us around the country and around the world uh, on CFA Online. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and take that out and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to jump right in this morning and begin reading the Christmas story beginning at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Now, I need you to use a little bit of imagination with me. We're going to stretch this a little bit without changing any meaning of the text or of the story. And I know the Bible doesn't say that the angel sang these words, but our series is the song of Christmas, the songs of Christmas. So I need you just to imagine that the angel now goes into song, and this is verse 1. Here we go. Don't be afraid. He saying, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by all the backup singers, the vast host of heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God and Singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, now let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing. We've we've heard about Christmas. Now we want to experience Christmas. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The the songs of Christmas. In any song, in fact, in any form of communication, on the communicator's side, not necessarily the audience's side, but on the communicator's side, there's two elements that come into play. There's the message, and then there's the medium. There's the message, and there's the medium. So the message are the lyrics that you write. It's the emotion that you want to convey. And the medium is simply the device that is used to play the, the message. And so throughout the generations, throughout the decades, we have used different uh, mediums to communicate the message. So when I get to your generation, I need you to let me know where you're at. So how many of you, how many of you grew up with one of these, a record player? Come on. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Be proud of that record player. That's right. So you you remember the the 45 or the 33, and and out of that cardboard sleeve you would take the record and it had a little white kind of paper on it, and you would put the record play you put the record on to the the turntable here, and you would hit power. And some of you got really fancy. You had one of those automatic arms. Anybody out there where it went up by itself? And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's how we roll in my house. We got this, we got this all figured out, but you would play the record. And then, so that was in many American households, the way that you were introduced to music. And then in 1964 or thereabouts, something rolled onto the scenes. Where are my eight track people at? Come on, any eight track people, be proud of your eight track. That's right. And so all kinds of new technology. In fact, in fact, they not only put these in homes, there were some vehicles that had eight-track players. 
Anybody remember one of those? My friend, when I first moved to Concord, my buddy, his granddad had given him like a, I don't even know what year, like Ford station wagon with the wood grain panels down the side. And we rolled around Concord with an eight track. And do you remember, do you remember with an eight track now you had the ability to kind of fast forward? Like you couldn't fast forward during the song, but you could skip to the next song. So you had that technology. And then, so that was like 1964 to around 88. And so then in the mid to later 80s, the cassette. Come on, come on, who, where are the people? This right here. Change the game, y'all. Change the game. Because now your music was portable. You could put this thing up on your shoulder. And you could walk down the street with your piece of cardboard and put it out. And if I was a little more brave and a little younger, I might, I might attempt some breakdancing moves this morning. But I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, and so this made it portable. And then you had the Walkman. Anybody have a, a good Walkman that you had? And, and so the, the, thing about, the thing about this, too, this didn't just change the portability. This, this changed your romantic life. <laughs> because everybody that grew up in the late 80s and early 90s knew that your relationship depended upon your ability to make a good mixtape. <laughs> Some of you are sitting by a spouse today because you were smart enough to let Brian Adams do the talking for you. So your evening looked something like this. You, you got in your room and you shut the door. Nobody interrupts me. And, and Casey's Top 40 would come on. And you knew about when the song was going to be played on the Top 40 as he was going down the, the list or going up the list. And, and you got two fingers ready. You had to have two fingers, right? You had to press record and play at the same time. I don't know why. It says record, why couldn't you just press record? I don't know, but you had to have two fingers ready. And you're getting ready, ready. Casey, don't play, don't, don't talk over the top of UB40, Casey, don't do it, don't do it. My, 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 my date on Friday is dependent upon this. And so you would put together, you'd put together this mixtape, right? But, but throughout, throughout the decades or throughout the ages, no matter what medium, that you used, a lot of times we depended on the message to communicate our emotion for us or our, our love for us. So whether for you it was Frank Sinatra or the Beatles or REO Speedwagon or, or Brian Adams, whether it was Boys to Men or John Legend, whether it was Ariana Grande or Lacey, I mean, I don't know what era you grew up in, but the idea of the song was that a message was communicated through a medium to express your emotion. And it's no different with the song of Christmas. See, thousands of years ago, God created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. And that was his heart. He loved his kids in the garden. And they had perfect union and perfect fellowship. But enter the serpent into the picture. And the serpent, through lies and deception, same two tools that he uses today, 
upon God's people, lies and deception, deceived Eve and then deceived Adam into taking a bite of that forbidden fruit. Sin entered the picture and it wasn't just sin, now it was separation. Adam and Eve were separated from God and God was separated from Adam and Eve and a lot of people would have given up on the relationship but not God. He loved his children so much that he said, I've got to get my song out and so through the ages, through the prophets, through the kings, through Israel, through, through many different mediums, God began to try to communicate his love for us. And well, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is God sending the song of heaven, the ultimate song. Christmas is sending the song of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, if you read it with me, it says this, but the angels reassured them. Just want to pause for a moment. If you just look around and, and you, you spend any moment just observing humanity right now, we need a little reassurance. Amen? It seems like fear has stepped into the conscious of our culture and things just seem chaotic. But in this moment, the angels reassured him and what he reassured him with, it says this, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. If Christmas is this incredible playlist from God to creation, then the first, the first jam on that playlist is the, 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 the song of joy, the song of joy. And for so many of us, again, we struggle with joy because the truth is we have this, this misconception of joy. We, we convolute joy or confuse it with happiness. And I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, for so many of us, although we pursue happiness, the, the problem is along the way it often can keep us from experiencing real joy. And there's been plenty of studies recently done on happiness and the connection between happiness and health. And one of them that I've read recently I thought would bring kind of some light to what happiness is all about. And it was actually done by the Harvard Business Review. And, and they were doing a research study on Facebook and on social media and its collective influence on a person's health, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And this is what it says. It says this, most measures of Facebook use in one year predicted a decrease in mental health in a later year. Now, stop pointing at your wife for a moment and your husband for a moment because you're not supposed to be all judgy on Christmas. That's messed up. <laughs> the rest of this reads is it says, we found consistently that both liking others' content and clicking significantly predicted a, a subsequent reduction in self-reported physical health, mental health, and life satisfaction. And then it goes a step further, and I think this is the best explanation of why this is an issue I've ever read. It says this, exposure to the carefully curate, uh, curated images from others' lives. I just want to pause here for a moment. Does that sound like your Instagram feed? Carefully curated images, right? It goes on to say, leads to a negative self-comparison, and the sheer quantity of social media action may detract from a more meaningful real-life experience. What they found was social media as a whole actually makes us less happy. But for a moment, can I just tell you this isn't social media's fault. We've been doing this for years. This pursuit of happiness isn't anything that's new. Matter of fact, if you would allow me, uh, I'd like to try to explain how this happens. Let's say, for instance, let's, let's pretend that we weren't great in school. 
Like growing up, you didn't necessarily struggle in school. Let's pretend that you struggled in school and because of that, you were a little anxious. You didn't necessarily have the degree that a lot of people around you. Now you're 41 years old and you're surrounded by all these smart people and it, and it causes a little anxiety in your life. We're just pretending. <laughs> this is just a for instance. And let's just pretend that the opportunity made itself available for you to go back to school uh, and you thought to yourself, well, I'm 41 years old, uh, my wife already loves me, I don't need to do anything, and yet, let's just pretend that your wife told you you had no choice, your boss told you you had no choice, and your friends would tell you you're dumb if you didn't do it. Let's just pretend. <laughs> so you go back to school, and you have to write your first graduate level paper. We're just pretending, Corey, but you know what I'm talking about. Covered in books for a week, trying to figure out who Kate Turabian is and why was she born to ruin my life. <laughs> I got some graduate level jokes now. Um, let's just pretend that you submitted the paper and now you're all worried and anxious about getting the grade. And let's pretend you get an email that says you got a 93 on your first paper. Yeah. And you were excited, let's pretend that you were excited. And then 10 minutes later, you're scrolling on Instagram and you see a picture of your friends and while you were doing the paper, one of your good friends was taking his kids to Disney World. And he thought, well, I wish I could be that type of dad. And if I wasn't covered with all this homework, maybe I could be that type of dad. Maybe if you pretend with me for a moment, 10 minutes later, you get a phone, uh, text message from somebody else who's in the same graduate program as you and they got a 97 on their test. And instead of being excited, they're griping that the professor robbed them of three points and they're trying to figure out where their three points went. Let's just pretend. Now you were all excited one moment to go home and tell your wife and bring your kids in and show them the email and show them what dad had done. And now when you get home, the wife's like, how's your day? And let's pretend your response is, well, it's all right. The gold line changes. And when the gold line changes of your happiness, your happiness changes with the gold line. And this isn't anything new. This has happened historically. Even our forefathers wrote in the uh, Declaration of Independence, we have the right to pursue happiness. They never wrote anything about actually finding it because they knew you find happiness for a moment, you grab a hold of it, it's fleeting, and then it disappears, and then you're chasing it all over again. But there is a difference between happiness and joy. There is a difference in happiness and joy, and this is what I love about Christmas. Joy isn't found in a thing, but it's found in a person. Romans says it like this in chapter 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Happiness is something you chase after. Joy is someone that has come for you. What an incredible truth, church, that this Christmas we can experience a joy that has come. And you might be able to change the goal line of my happiness, but you'll never rob me of my joy. You can never rob me of my joy. James says it like this. I love it. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. James models what it means that even in trial, even in 
in tribulation we can have joy. Jesus himself on the cross according to Hebrews 12 says this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He was singing songs of joy while facing the pain of the cross. So I don't know what has you strung up this morning. I have no idea what kept you awake last night. I can't imagine the pain of the loss that you're experiencing, but I know the songs of the angels is still echoing from the hilltops of Bethlehem. Joy has come through Jesus, and you can experience his joy today.
So in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So at the first song on the mixtape is the song of joy. The second song on the mixtape is the song of peace. How many of you are thankful for the peace of God today? Oh, come on. There's a little bit more people in here, I'm sure, that are thankful for the peace of God. But see, I think some people get a little bit confused with this peace on earth that has been de being declared by the angels because they think that this peace that they're talking about is somehow the end of trouble and the end of war, but that's not what they're declaring. Jesus in his ministry, he said, as long as you're on this earth, there's going to be trouble. He said, in, in the end of time, that when we get in the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. So, so it cannot be that the angels were declaring an end to trouble or an end to war. What they were declaring in this moment was not a cessation of, of trouble, but an incarnation of peace. In this moment, peace has come from heaven to earth. John 1 tells us this. It tells us that the same word that was there in Genesis 1 that spoke into the confusion, into the void, into the chaos, and created the world, that same word has now in John chapter 1 here in Bethlehem has been spoken once again through Jesus to bring peace into your situation. Whatever you're going through today, we can, we can stand on the truth that he is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is our, the Lord who is there, and Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. I love John 1 because it goes on to say this. It says that Jesus, that when we behold Jesus, we behold the glory of God. And I love that because that word glory means weightiness. It means substance. It's not something that's, that, is, that is out there that's just uh, um, fluttering around, but it's something that has some, some weight to it, some substance to it, the glory of God. And why is that important? Because I believe it is that weightiness that brings stability into our life and brings peace to our situation. If you can imagine with me that, I, that I'm holding a bowl here and I've got water in it, and I begin to spin and to stir that water and create kind of a vortex. And if you don't know what that looks like, just think about the last time you flushed your toilet. That's probably what it looked like. Some of you don't have that kind of toilet. Mine, mine still flushes like that. And, and that, that spinning motion there. And now, and now imagine that you drop a feather into, into that vortex. What happens? The, the feather basically takes on the characteristic of the spin. It basically takes on the characteristic of the water. But imagine that same bowl. And imagine dropping, uh, as you spin the water, dropping a brick into that bowl. The truth is that the, because of the weightiness of that brick, it's not going to take on the characteristic of the spin or of the water, but actually it's going to settle down there, it's going to land up, and the, the water is going to have to adapt to the weightiness of the brick. And see, that's how it is with God. You and I are the feather. That whenever we get into a bowl of trouble and the thing begins to spin, in and of ourselves, we do not have enough glory, any weightiness to do anything but succumb to the spin of trouble. But I'm thankful that, that the, the, the Apostle Paul wrote to us that Christ in you and Christ in me is the hope of glory. It is the hope of weightiness so that whenever we're dropped into a bowl of trouble, you don't have to succumb to the atmosphere that you're dropped into. But because of the glory of God in you, you have an anchor this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.